As professional financial advisors, we strive to build a brand that portrays mastery. The tragedy is that we can easily lose track of what true genius is, the ability to do the common uncommonly well. Finance, just like fitness, is built on simple, functional principles. You pick things up, you put them down, you get stronger, right? Functional finance is about getting back to the basics, diving into those fundamentals, and resisting the urge to chase the noise. Jess Bost is a retirement income certified professional and the vice president of brand partnerships at Alpha Architect. Due to industry regulations, Jess will not discuss any of Alpha Architect's funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by Jess and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Alpha Architect or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For more information, please visit www.alphaarchitect.com. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Functional Finance, a podcast about getting back to the basics. And um, my name is Jess Boss. I am with Alpha Architect. Today I have with us Thomas Koppelman. Did I Koppelman, pronounce that? but you're close. You're close. Koppelman. Everybody Koppelman. says that. Today I have with us Thomas Koppelman. He is the co-founder of All Street Wealth. And, and if, uh, he's a financial advisor. He has his own podcast. He runs social media on just about every uh, platform that I know out there. Absolutely crushes it. That is pretty much the heart of what we are going to get to today is just a discussion on how he is running that strategy and what has made him, you know, what he has found to be successful mm -hmm. uh, with that. But uh, today we are going to get started as usual with our fitness questions. Thomas, tell me what your favorite exercise or movement is. Oh, I'm going to say uh, either pull-ups or incline dumbbell chest press. I don't know why. I just absolutely love it. And it's like one of my strongest lifts. And it's like a staple for me. Awesome. That is, uh, that's a very specific movement. Yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. I, I remember, I remember the first time I ever did those. They're really awkward to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They are. Was it I, one of those things that like, it was awkward to learn, but you figured it out and now you're good at it. And it's like, oh, this is my jam. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people don't know, but I actually competed in physique competitions for like a couple years after I quit Ooh. playing college basketball. And so I like, I always loved lifting, but I got super into it that time. And yeah. for me, like bench was always like a, a solid lift for me. Like I hit like 300 before and my form was fine, but incline, I could like the max I ever got was like 140 pound dumbbells for eight. So to me, it's just kind of like the one thing that I can always feel like I'm winning on and, and doing really well. And That's so cool. So it's just kind of became my favorite. That's so cool. So you competed in physique mm -hmm. and aren't there different types of physique composition competitions There's like bodybuilding physique and that i mean there's like a few and for me like once i did it i didn't like it at all i didn't like the competing part i liked the training just because leaving basketball i i spent my whole life training for basketball yeah. and you know it was lift every day shoot every day like ball handling all that stuff every day and so i just needed something to like continue to work towards otherwise for me i kind of just get bored with life and so it was kind of that natural transition and then from there i you know started to learn a lot and then i started a personal training business while in college and i was training like five to ten people at a time um, cool. 
And then I realized that probably wasn't the best career path to go. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but like with you. Yeah. it was just going to be, I felt hard to do. And I didn't really want to just go work at a gym and be a personal trainer. And, you know, I didn't feel like it would be that I'd have a lot of freedom there. And then I feel like I did just get burnt out of the fitness side. If that's yeah. all I did versus for me, it's just fun. And it's like my stress reliever. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm with you hundred percent on that. That was exactly my path from, cause I, I was a personal trainer and CrossFit coach for eight, nine years before making that transition over to financial services. And that is the reason why, I mean, I loved it. I loved working with people. Uh, and that's what I carried with me over to financial services was that passion for helping people get from where they are to where they want to be. But the, burn, the burnout, man, you had to be there if like with a client three days a week and you had to be there when they were not at work, which is typically when my family also needed me yeah. just too much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's like the same idea. It's so transferable, the skill set because you're just helping people achieve goals in a different way. And you yeah. have to learn how to like craft a strategy that's unique to them. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, helping somebody who's 70 that probably couldn't weight lift, you know, be in shape is completely different than working with somebody who's 20. And that's the same thing with finances too. Yeah. Celebrating those wins with people, like all of it. Yeah. And then thinking they can't do something and then you helping devise a strategy to get there for them and celebrating with them when they get there. And yeah. I love the educational piece. Like to me, like what I'm really passionate about, I think why I love content too, is I love teaching people things. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe in some way it's probably like a little bit of, you know, arrogance in yourself of like you had, can add value and help and you feel good about yourself by helping people. And so, like, I just really love that piece of like, people didn't know at all what to do. They're lost. Now you help educate them on the path to take. And now they like kind of that light bulb goes on They're like, wow, this makes so much sense. Now I feel good about what I'm doing. Cause everybody, I mean, it's like, you know, we're worried about where we're trying to get to. We don't know how we're going to get there. And then once you can lay out that plan, people start to feel more confident and comfortable in their life. And I think that's just a cool feeling to help people reach that. Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm so hundred percent on the same page about all that. That's really cool. Um, cool. I didn't, I didn't realize that was your background too. Mm -hmm. I don't all kinds of things out. Um, <laughs> all right. Pre-workout of choice. Um, so I've kind of gotten out of pre-workouts cause I'm either addicted or I'm out of it. Like the last ones I was doing was I was using bang energy and honestly, Justin loves, loved them. He'd get them all the time. And then I started to have a, every once in a while. And then there was like a Sam's had a 24 pack on sale. So I gave it a try. And honestly, it's, it's pretty good. I've, a lot of people are on the Celsius train. I'm starting to like those too, but I'm, I'm on my break period from them because I just go through phases where then all of a sudden you're like one bang is like, you know, I'm not even motivated anymore. And you're like, all right, that's yeah. how I know I need a break. Yeah. Yeah. What's yours? Guess how caffeine works, right? So, I mean, it's a drug, so you got to keep adding a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Um, hit that reset button. I don't, I, I don't tell Lauren. Don't tell, don't tell Chef Lauren. <laughs> yeah. um, I like bangs. Um, but, you know, for me, and I think, what you know, something like that, if I put it in my system, then it kind of gives me that artificial motivation to get up and get going. Mm -hmm. And... You know, there's a whole bunch of different ways to approach that and accomplish that as a pre-workout. But it's just that yeah. one thing that like, how do you motivate yourself to get up and go get the workout done? Like, what's your, what's your strategy? How do you, you just go do it? You just, yeah, I, I mean, I structure my life in my work around, you know, how I function best. And so 
I want to lift in the morning, but I'm not a six or 7 a.m. lifter. So I lift at like 8 a.m. I go get my lift in, I sauna, I come back, and then I kind of just grind all day. So it doesn't feel like I have to wake up really early and I'm like anxious and skip a workout because it's not super early. And I have one of my buddies, like for a while I've been lifting by myself, but one of my buddies just moved back from California. And so now we get to lift together every morning. And for me, like just after being like the, the training in me, I love putting people through like grueling workouts. And so my motivation is if somebody else is coming, I'm putting them through something hard, which then I ultimately makes my lift hard. The time I need the pre-workout is, oh, that person can't go today. Today is Wednesday. I got to go hit legs. I'm tired. All right. Pre-workout is, is going to be my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's well said. That, that accountability partner's big, 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 big. Yeah. It's, yeah. All right. Um, what about a PR that you're proud of? Something that you look back and you're like, wow, I, I, I did that. I accomplished that. Or just a moment that you'll always kind of reach back for, for your fitness. When I was competing, I hit 37 pull-ups in a row. Now I can, now I'm more in like the mid twenties for like a max set. So definitely down a little bit. But to me, I was like, that's, that's a lot of pull-ups when most people can't do 10. Dang. Did you video it? Do you have a video of this somewhere? I do not. Golly. I wish. I wasn't, I don't know. I, there's like so many, not like, there's just so many people at gyms I've been to that have like, you know, the tripod and they like record every set they ever do. And like, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just, am like, yeah. oh, like, I just don't want to be that person who's like, that hey, don't walk by my camera while I'm lifting right now. Like I'm just, I'm just here to get my workout in. And I realize I don't run very efficiently if I don't lift. So I'm just going to be about that, get in the zone. And I like, I'm in and out with stretching, lift, and everything in like 50, 55 minutes every time. And I just try perfect. to be efficient. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, no, I, we definitely, I, I've set up a camera. I'll throw it up against a weight or something. I don't have a tripod. I'm not that, but not that legit. But more about PRs. Yeah. Like CrossFit definitely is. Oh yeah. 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 Um, and then too, being a coach, sometimes you don't get coached as much. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so I will like a lot of times when I'm filming, it's, to, to go back and look at my movement, especially mm -hmm. if I'm trying to hit a top end set. Yeah. But then I'll throw it up on social media too. And it's always fun to get those high fives mm -hmm. um, from, you know, fist bumps from friends and all that. So yeah, the encouragement's good. Yeah. But that's, because that's legit. Like th 37 pull-ups. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, yeah. I felt 40? really good about it. Well, how many did you say it was 40? 37. 37. God. Yeah. I would love to do it again <laughs> now. Cause now I'm into doing weighted pull-ups and yeah. like weighted dips and stuff because I just, I, I am not a high rep person. Like I love like, you know, the eight to 15 top range every once in a while. Like, you know, the other day I started the lift with, you know, a hundred uh, kettlebell squats as quick as I could go to just get running. But most yeah. of the time I would rather do like a lower rep range. And so if I can add 45 pounds on and do eight pull-ups, like to me, that feels better than sometimes I just give up because I'm bored. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that, you know, in lifting all of all of those challenging all those end ranges of possibility is always always important for mm -hmm. your overall health longevity mm -hmm. um cool yeah all right well that's awesome that was a fun conversation yeah thanks all right well we're gonna flip over to um the content marketing so i i reached out i mean one i think we've connected through social media now for a mm -hmm. couple of years and I just wanted to chat, but, you know, also layered on top of that was I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but at least the last six months for you, 
it just, I've seen a, a change, a shift in your social media. I, I noticed it first on LinkedIn uh, because for me, I think that's the platform I struggle with the most is LinkedIn. Bringing my authentic self there seems somewhat challenging because I'm trying to fit in the box of business appropriate and also, um, you know, it, it, it's just, it's just a weird platform for it's me. It's not Facebook. Yeah. It's not Facebook. And I don't do a whole lot on Facebook. Um, my personal, I have a personal page on there and personal Instagram page that really just auto post to Facebook. Facebook's for my, my mom and my grandmother and, you know, aunts and uncles and things like that for the most part, just to share our family stuff with. But yeah, so LinkedIn has always been an enigma to mm -hmm. me. And I, I noticed a shift in yours and you were starting to get a lot of traction with your posts and you were coming across as very genuine and authentic. And the information that you were putting out there was inviting. And it wasn't, I didn't read one line and skip to the next thing. I was like, I read one line, I clicked the button to expand more and like, you know, even though there was several different lines of, of content, I'm just, I'm in it, you know, I'm reading all the way to the end. And that gripped me because I was like, man, he's doing something right. Because not, it's not just me landing here. I'm noticing all these other people are landing here, liking it, interacting with it. And so I think that's something that I'm probably not alone in struggling with and that you are you know, one of the few who seems to have tapped that and you've done it without video too. I think there's a lot of people out there. I mean, you do have your video. Now we started content. Yeah. yeah once as All well. Street started, that's been our focus is adding video. Cause I realized yeah, video. Like the one piece I was missing. And also like for me, video editing is something I don't like to do. Yeah. And so now the partnership with Trayton, Trayton is a great video editor. So that's been like a huge acceleration for me content wise. Cause I felt like that was the only thing I was really missing. And you know, he's helped solve that for me. That's really, yeah. And, but even without the video, in a day in today's world where everybody is moving to video, you are still killing it, still killing it. So um, let's, I guess, start with, tell me about the platforms that you use most, how you spread out your strategy across those platforms. Do you change for different platforms? Um, if you do, like, when do you schedule or post or con like, just yeah. walk, walk us through like what platforms you're 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 focused on yeah so i'm gonna get to that i'm gonna take a step back real quick to explain okay you do why, that this is you why i've got like became authentic there and it's because the way that i started was at a broker dealer and i just knew that i wanted to attract versus sell and everything they taught me was here is how you sell you go to networking events you go to weddings you go to all these things and you come back with leads and for me that's where i totally felt like i could not be my authentic self in any way and so i knew that my goal was create content, educate people. And by educating people, that would create an audience who once they reached their point where they needed help financially, they were gonna go to the one advisor who's just tried to educate them and not sell them. And so yeah. content has like been my, my absolute best way to be my authentic self. Um, but it's also, I mean, it is hard because you have to balance the, you know, only talking about business with talking about your personal life, which, is hard and and my goal isn't necessarily to share everything about my personal life on on social media i i actually had somebody in the fintwit community he has like ten thousand followers he reached out to me maybe two months ago and said 
he actually tweeted at me. He didn't even message me this. I was really mad. He tweeted at me and said, Hey Thomas, your page is way too business related. You should probably change that. And I was like, I messaged him. I said, Hey, um, interesting point. I don't think you approached that in the right way. I don't know why you would tweet at me about that instead of DM me that, but whatever. And he goes, well, I just don't think you're like sharing with people. And I'm like, but maybe our goals on Twitter are different. Like to me, my goal of content is as a young person is to show people that I'm knowledgeable about the thing that I'm doing. My goal of Twitter is not necessarily to show everything about my family or talk about going to the lake or talk about me weightlifting or the Chicago Bears, all these things I'm interested. I do some, but it's not the main topic. And then he just unfollowed me and said, well, that's fine. That's not what I use it for. And I was like, okay, well, like just because you're 50 years old and you have a different goal of social media than somebody building the business doesn't mean it's wrong. And so, you know, obviously there's definitely still things that I could improve on and, and do better, but for me, what, what I found is that like, I needed to pick a strategy that really worked for me and something that I like to do. And so when working with Justin, the idea was I'm going to launch a blog day one and the blog is going to be my main focus. And so I think what a lot of advisors do wrong is they see, you know, they see me or see you or see somebody else like, you know, really killing in a bunch of ways. And they say, Oh, great. I'm going to do, I'm going to do content. I'm going to launch my blog. I'm going to launch my podcast. I'm going to launch my newsletter and I'm going to post on LinkedIn and Twitter every day. And all that happens by doing that is you become extremely average at everything. And the approach that I tried to take is how do I become really good at one thing? And once I've mastered that one thing, move to the next. So what I just, so I started with that blog and my goal is going to be, I'm going to post that blog on Twitter. I'm going to post that blog on LinkedIn and that's going to be my start. I did that for about four or five months. And in the beginning it took me six to eight hours to write a blog. And then by the time I like transitioned to the next one, I was spending about less than two hours per time to write the blog, edit the blog and post the blog. So now I'm like, okay, I have more time available. Where do I go next? And the podcast was a goal I really had. So when I did the podcast, I did that for a few months. You know, the editing got quicker, the, you know, preparation got quicker. I moved to the newsletter, got the newsletter going, felt good about that. And then I moved to how do I continue now to post more on social media? And I think the one thing I failed on in the beginning is repurposing. I spent so, so much time. You, you're doing all of these things now, right? So yeah. you did one thing really well until you made it efficient. You're still doing your blog. Yep. I do a while blog also doing your podcast. Yep. And while now you have a newsletter, I said, I'm just making sure like we're not eliminating them. No, or, it just, it, I built to each one instead of work on all of them at the same time. Um, yeah. because yeah, now I do a weekly blog. I do a monthly newsletter. I have a client newsletter. I write, um, we do a video that is a podcast and a video that then we cut and edit short parts of it every single week. And it was part of the reason I joined trade and is like, our belief was that there aren't very many financial planning firms. I mean, obviously you have the Ritholtz guys and some other people, but there's personal brands, but not anybody has really, I felt like has killed the, the brand of the business and brought their personal brand. And the personal brands are similar enough that they can really build the business brand. And so our goal is like, if we can truly build our personal brands to be really authentic, really knowledgeable, where people really want to work with us, how then can we build All Street to be like, we go to All Street because All Street is the best planning firm for people in their late 20s to early 40s. And then, you know, eventually we'll help push you to the right advisor who will specialize in whatever you have going on. And that's why I joined Trayton, though, is because he had the exact same beliefs. There was other people I uh, brainstormed it with, but they're like, you know, I want to work with retirees. And I'm like, well, then what, what is our firm about our firm? Like I loved RLS, but our, our firm 
brand was on purpose and I really wanted to build a firm brand around an age range and that can shift and that can totally shift as time goes on. But then not only my personal brand, but our company speaks to the exact same audience I'm speaking to, which I think will just help people convert into clients um, quicker maybe and even even be an easier choice for them knowing that our whole process, everything we do is completely specialized on helping this segment of people. And your segment is... Uh, you said late twenties to early forties. Yeah. And that, and, and some people say that's too broad and I I mean, I'm going to agree it is, it is kind of broad, but every single client I'm working with is going through the same life stages. And so my process is built around continually meeting with people, continually helping them overcome, you know, the first job to second job, to married, to kids, to first house, to, to next job, to starting a business, to, you know, college, like there's just life is changing so fast and I'm really good at helping people make those decisions, figure out what to do, pivot on the fly. And then the financial side of the the background is every client's different. And sometimes I have to go learn things. Like I tell all my clients, I don't know everything. I don't pretend to know everything, but if there's something I don't know with you, I know the right person to go talk to, to help me figure out how does this apply to you in, in your life. And I think people appreciate that authenticity too of I just will not pretend like I know everything about equity compensation. I know everything about running a business, but I have plenty of clients in both those models and you feel good about it. And then all of a sudden, you know, now you get a new business owner and they have a completely different business set up. They have like a third owner who's just like an angel investor. And, you know, now you have a bunch of things to go learn, but you know, that's part of the job. People are hiring me to go solve their problems. Yeah, that's cool. So inside that age range, um, I don't know if you've seen Michael Kitsis has a, he published a, mm-hmm. a um, like a chart that shows all of the like life chart. stages, all the life stages. I loved that the first time I saw it because it really helped identify why, when you target that type of age range, why you, I mean, I'm meeting some of, some of my clients, I meet with them once a month right? just to check in because life is changing so rapidly, especially mm-hmm. in the beginning. And then, you know, as we get a plan in place, you know, even when life makes shifts, as long as they can stick to the financial plan that we've, you know, we've worked out, then we may not need to meet. But I mean, we're still meeting much more regularly than it, with the clients that I have in retirement. Yeah. And it's just because they're not making those uh, decisions that are f- affecting their finances and their lives every yeah. two to three months. Yeah. And, and, I, and I try to tell my clients like a big value add I have is I get like decision fatigue and I get the oh, we're about to buy a car, you know, it came quicker. Like how much do we put down? How much do we finance? Do we want it to be four year, five year, six year? Like how do we shop for loans? Like those are things that, you know, the average financial advisor that says, hey, we have surge meetings. We meet in April and we meet in October. Well, when your clients face these problems or they get a random bonus or whatever, you're basically leaving them out there to make decisions for themselves. And then they're like, oh, is this the right thing? Is it not? And I'm just like, just literally here's my calendar invite or here's my calendar link book a meeting with me in the next two days we're going to talk about that for 15 minutes and i'm going to make sure you feel confident in the decision that you're going to make and i and i try to push my clients you don't have to make the best financial decision in every situation and i actually push them not to most of the time you know sometimes you have to pick the decision that's just best for your life but then they walk away and like oh thomas helped me on this and if you go back of all the decisions i helped them on in the year and it only took 10 15 minutes each time it's not that much work on my end, but they feel super confident about what they're doing financially versus before working the advisor, every decision, did I make the wrong one? Did I make the right one? Should I have done this? Should I have done that? Now they don't really have to think about that and worry about it. So is your content that you're writing in your social media, 
Is that stemming from these conversations that you're having with clients? Yeah, I would say a good amount of them are. Um, I, I definitely think in the beginning content was like a big worry for me of like, how am I going to still be writing, you know, 52 weeks from now? And once you start creating content, I think like every every day I come up with multiple new things I could create content on. And where do you and where do you keep that when it comes when it like lands in your brain? Where do you go with that? I use Notion, so Notion's like a note taking app, and I probably have eighty topics in there right now that I still haven't written about, and a lot of them have been on there the whole time. And it's like, hey, I could write about this one, but then this week you know, this comes up, like I've, I've added like four or five new business owner clients and they all are making the same problems. And so I was like, well, you know, I should probably put a post about of here are the 10 things you should do when you start a business that are easily avoidable if you just knew to do them. So then I post that. And the next week I have the idea of, you know, I'm going to, it's my birthday next week. So I'm going to talk about like, you know, I, I try to every day, this is kind of how content has formed for me of like, Every day I feel like I, I learn a new lesson or I learn the same lesson again that I learned, you know, maybe a year ago and I need to be re reminded of it. And so I kind of note those down and I'm going to put out a post next week of like top 25 lessons that I need to be reminded of or something next year for my, or like for my birthday. And I feel like it's, it's funny that after you start to create content, your brain changes to think of how everything can be turned into content. And it's honestly, maybe even my favorite part of everything I do is creating content. And I've seen you use a lot of lists. Do you feel like that? I mean, I, I mean, from my perspective, it's easy to track a list. Like when I see a list on, you know, link, LinkedIn or whatever that you've posted, I, you know, I'm, I'm clicking that button to open it up and yeah. walk down that list. I want to know what else you said about that topic. Do you gravitate toward lists? Um, I think sometimes lists are easier to create. Like, I feel yeah. like I, the posts that are not the posts that are more like general on like, you know, value versus momentum like mm, is that is anybody going to go apply that to their life probably not but if i give them a list of things this is what you should do or mistakes that are made or whatever like i feel like everybody can walk away from that and apply something to their life and really my goal through content truly is to help people go apply things to their life because at the end of the day the diy investors or the people that are going to do their own finances they're going to go do their finances, whether you give them the information or not. So I might as well just add value for them, make sure they have the good information. And then the people who are always going to work with an advisor anyways are going to see those things and be like, oh, I haven't even thought about, you know, using my RSUs or when I should sell them. Or I haven't even thought about why my business should be an escort versus, you know, a partnership. And then they see my my stuff about it and then they hit a pain point in their life and they go, oh, you know, maybe I should reach out to Thomas because I remember he talked about that topic and that's what I'm struggling with. And so either way, I'm only really trying to target those people that we're going to work with advisors. I'm never going to convince a DIY investor to come work with me when they want to do it themselves. So then give them the free value because I can only truly work with 100 to 150 people and I want my value to expand beyond that. Yeah, so you're not trying to target the DIY client and bring them in. Mm -mm. So how... You are inside that age range. Is it just the people? Is it just a general, I'm going to put free content out there? I love what you said. You said, you know, my goal with content is just to add value, you know, give people something that will add value to their lives. Love, 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 love that. And then the, the trust on your end is that that's just going to eventually, you know, turn into the type of client that, that you want to have the type of client that you want to work with. Yeah. I mean, my conversion rates are so much higher because I create content because the people that come into me already know everything I believe, everything I'm about, my pricing yeah. structure, like what it's like to work with me. And so when they come in, it's really, 
you know, what fee structure, what model would I actually be in? And then can I afford it right now? Or is it going to make sense for me to wait a few more years? And I, I really like that because everybody who's gravitating towards me and my audience is probably people who believe the same philosophies I believe and want somebody to help them implement those philosophies. I feel like your logo or your, your, your company, your brand does a great job of sifting that as well. So all street wealth, and you can you know, talk a little bit more about that, but it is, and I've seen you post this too. It's, it's the wall street. Yeah. You know, shouldn't, yeah. Shouldn't sift out only the people that have, you know, money, have, old. have money already or high net worth or lots of wealth. You want to help anyone build yeah. wealth. Yeah. And I really, I mean, that connects directly to my heart and how I approach this industry. It's funny. I wonder if both of us came from that, from a personal training background and just seeing that anybody can build you know, build their fitness up. They can yeah. build their strength up. Anybody's capable of that if they put the work in and the time and the effort in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, tell us a little bit more about, about that. Yeah. My big thing is that like, I don't ask anybody about money until they're already a client. Like I know nothing about, I know what they want help on, but I don't know unless they blatantly just randomly tell me I don't ask because at the end of the day, like my pricing structure, if $150 a month is the minimum, I, I actually have a couple of clients who make, $60,000 a year who pay for it and get more than enough value to make it worth their while. And so the thing is that I do have a pricing structure that any single person could afford if they're serious yeah. enough about it, but it's also not che like too cheap where I get people who are like lukewarm on whether they want to actually do the planning or not, because I, I just, I want people who are bought in and at the end of the day, if they're bought in, things are going to go well. And for me, my pricing structure is 150 for singles. And then you get married, you go to 225 and you have a family, you go to 300 and then you have 350,000 AUM, you move to 1% AUM and then 0.8 at 750 and you know, at 2 million move to 0.6. And so the goal is that I never have to even have fee conversations because everybody as their life gets more complex or just naturally moving up tiers. Cool. So there's a point where you switch actually from a flat fee to a percentage fee based on assets? Yeah, well, they actually are paying me 0.35%. So it's like kind of similar to Betterment or whatever. Of oh. the, the For those accumulators, planning is the most important part. But also yeah. like $300 a month coming out of cash flow, a lot of clients would rather have that come out of their assets than come out of cash flow. And so then they shift and technically at 350,000, you pay 300 a month plus 0.35% AUM. So then you graduate and you save yeah. over a thousand dollars a year by graduating. And so cool. it's kind of like a savings incentive. And I, I know all the debates on AUM, but also like we have a cap fee of 25,000. So if I got a $10 million client, they'd be paying 0.25%. So we're not really doing it as a way to like wow, we need a ton of money and blah, 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 blah. But it's really just of, you know, hey, if you want us to manage assets, this is what it's going to cost. And pretty much everybody chooses for us to do it. Yeah, no, it, that, I mean, the structure makes total sense. And and I do think it's a fine line. There's a lot of debates about fees. I think the important thing, which it looks like you've identified too, is that for somebody who's accumulating wealth, you know, uh, even if they would prefer for it to come out of their assets, a large asset management fee is chewing into their ability to get that ball rolling yeah. and to, you know, build that snowball, get it going for them so that they can start to accumulate more wealth down the road. So you're, you're handicapping their ability to do that in the beginning mm -hmm. when you slap on a huge fee for them. And so, um, you know, that, you know, pull, helping them identify how they can pull some of it from cash flow and then not hurting their ability to build 
those assets in the very beginning when, you know, that's their primary goal is, you know, to me, one of the one of the more important things that we can do as advisors just from an integrity and fiduciary standpoint, if you want to throw that word around yeah. about it. I mean, so. that and like, if you have a hundred thousand, you'd have to have a high AUM fee to make it worthwhile of an advisor to actually spend the time with you, which is where the subscription makes sense. Like if my minimum client okay. pays me $1,800. Well, they're, they're, I'm incentivized around helping them accomplish their goals because they're paying me to help them do planning and accomplish their goals versus, you know, if you're, I, I have a bunch of clients that come in that, you know, work with Edward Jones or somewhere else that they had $50,000 and they're paying a 2% AUM fee, but they don't do anything besides manage that portfolio and X stock sleeve they put it in. And so they're, they're paying a lot of money to not get value. And the way that I have people pay the value and why they stick with me is all based on truly giving value, not just investments. Yeah. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. And I too, I like the subscription fee model for those younger clients, especially who are starting out as I think it, it helps, it, it gives them permission to, to reach out as often as they need to. I mean, they're, if they're paying every month, they also feel like I'm paying for my time every month and I should get a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. You know, their needs aren't as complex, but to them, they're really important Yeah, and they are important. This is the first learnings and the first steps that they're taking toward building that wealth. And so I want somebody calling me when they're not sure uh, about, you know, they have an extra bonus check and they're not sure what to do with it. I want them calling me and asking me those questions. I want them to wait to fill. I want them to have to feel like they need to wait six months till we have our next meeting, Yeah, you know, to, to figure out if what they decided to do was the right answer. Yeah. And I I think sometimes too, though, that they, they actually can be more complex. Like I probably have 10 clients who are more complex than most retirees. Anybody would work with that are like business owners. And, you know, I have a couple business owners that they're in their mid twenties and they're almost doing 200 K a month in revenue. And, you know, this just came out of nowhere. There's so much tax planning. There's so much like business planning. And then I have other people who are like work corporate job, turning side hustle into full-time business. Now, like how do we, what, what revenue do we need to get to? Like, how do we do it? Should we be an S corp? Should we be this? And then how does that affect our retirement? How do you know, how should we invest now differently because of the concentration in a business and that risk that comes along? And then you have other people who are, wow, you know, you have millions of dollars of, uh, in a company that's going to IPO next year, like that, that is, you know, some of the people I, I would say 75% of my clients are, it's pretty basic. Like for me, I can meet with them, walk away from that meeting and the whole plan's done in my head. And it, also that's just cause you know, I've, they're like, it's like the hundredth plan I've done, but then there's other people where I'm like, wow, I've like so much research to go do to try to figure mm-hmm. out how to help them. And so I think my goal long-term is to like build that complex sleeve of my client base to you know, maybe 50 and most probably 90% of my hours will be there because like some of them are paying me $600 a month. And yeah. you know, that's a, that's a large part. And so I probably have 10 clients right now who account for 70% of my revenue of my 45 clients. And so they get a lot of time, but if I can, I think I'll naturally grow out that sleeve and really focus there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting. So as you are you tilting your content toward that in any way? Or are you still just, you know, again, letting content sift through who, who does come? Yeah, that's a good question. So when I first started, my content was really more- I think that's a temptation. We found something that works really well and we start to steer our conversations and our content that way. Yeah. 
And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know if you've played around with that. Yeah, so I think in the beginning, I thought I naturally would want to work with like even younger than the age range I'm targeting now. But what I found is that most of them are not serious enough about money in their life yet to like really take it seriously. And so I naturally started to shift more towards like families because mm -hmm. I mean, families just get it. Like we don't have that much time. We could probably figure out what to do financially, but also we don't want to, like that's not where our time is best spent. And business owners have that same mindset too. Like I could directly apply that time, grow my business, grow my revenue. I'd rather outsource this to you. Like I outsource every other part of my business that I don't want to do. And so for me, I just value the people that are like, you're my trusted partner, bring me the information. Let's collaborate, figure out what to do together versus a lot of the younger people was not that way. And they, they always be coming about like the new tip their friend told them about. And you know, now I should be in this and that. And I'm just like, honestly, it does. It, it just, it was way more work than even the older people were who were paying significantly more. So now my content is more shifted towards, I think that age range business owners, um, people with equity and like families. Like I just, yeah, people with something to care about, yeah. I think is what a, a mentor told me one time, like your ideal client is someone with something to care about. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's super true. And it's just like, they also realize that it's pretty complex and they don't want to mess this up. And that's yeah. like a, a good part a, a good point to start to work with an advisor. And I don't know. I think that's where my content is just naturally starting to go to. Plus I'm also getting older and and that also helps too of more of my audience is getting older as well. Yeah. 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 No, that's so, you know, with, is there, how do, how does someone, when they're starting out with their content and how did you formulate your strategy for rolling that out? So you said, you know, you started with your blog and then you added the podcast and then you added a newsletter and then you started taking on it's what it sounds like is the social media yeah. more posts than it was con you know turning that content into social media posts do you have a strategy for you know, are you starting with linkedin and then going to some are you breaking pieces of it apart do you use like a hoot suite or something like that to auto post yeah no good how part. do you do this with while keeping balance in your life because i struggle with that yeah. personally um, when there's a lot of, you know, maybe great content, like you said, I have a lot of different ideas. Sometimes I want to throw them all out in the universe and it's just too much. How do you, how do you manage all of that? Yeah. So I think like the first step to this is pick whichever one you're going to enjoy the most, because in the beginning, it's for sure a grind. And you know, you can listen to all these people say video is the number one way to convert. But if you hate doing the video, I promise you five months from now, you're not going to be doing video again. So you got to pick a strategy that you like, that you enjoy, that's fun for you. And then where I started is like, yeah. how am I going to make sure I do this every week? Cause every advisor I talk to is like, yeah, I want to do content, but like, then I say I'm gonna, and then work comes up. And for me, it's, it's just not even an option. Like part of every single week is on Monday, I am going to write my blog post. Like I know I don't want to have like Sunday scaries and you know, what sounds really great for me on Mondays is create content and get ready for the week. Like that's all I do. If I can be done by two on a Monday, like then that's awesome. And sometimes I am, sometimes it's longer. So I write my blog post Monday, I get up Tuesday morning, I edit it once, Wednesday morning, I read it one more time, I post it. And like, that's how I stick to it. I don't schedule it. The only thing I do schedule is Twitter. Um, and so what I do is like, I schedule two months at a time. Like I'll just sit down for a Friday afternoon at noon and I will schedule out two tweets a day for two months straight in like three or four hours. And part of that is what new ideas do I have? 
The other part of it is how do I go repurpose old content? Because I think the biggest thing that's missing and one of my biggest mistakes the first eight months of content was I'd spend all this time writing a blog post, I'd post it once, and then I really wouldn't post about it again because I'm like, oh, my, my audience doesn't want to see the same thing twice, which for one is wrong because most of your audience doesn't see every post you have. And two, it's like, why spend so much time on one piece of content? And so now I'm like, blog post, I turn that blog post a lot of times into a thread. I also will yeah. then post about it differently on LinkedIn one time. I'll put a video and a podcast about it. And then like after a couple months, I'll go back to that. I'll take a quote out of there, put it on Twitter. You know, maybe I'll make a table out of something. And so I probably turn every blog post into like 10 to 15 different posts a year because otherwise you're just creating way too much new stuff. And I, I used to worry about being annoying of like posting that and posting a lot, but all I get is good feedback from people on the education. And let's say two months ago, I posted about investing is not gambling. Well, two months later, yeah. I can post that same thing. And that person who read it probably read a hundred different things they could have learned that day. They maybe didn't apply it. Now they learn, hear it again. They're like, oh, that makes more sense. And they hear it again in a couple months in a different way. And then maybe it finally like fully resonates and why, or resonates why they should start to invest and why it's not as risky. I mean, there's risk to it, but not like, it's not like gambling how some people say it is. And so I think that repurposing is huge. And so with my, my Twitter, like any tweet that becomes big, I turn into a longer post on LinkedIn or any post on LinkedIn that does really well, I cut into a shorter post and put it on Twitter because they are different audiences. There's different people there. Um, and do you just keep track of that in your head or do you take a note and like drop that note somewhere that, Hey, this went, this went well on Twitter. I need to put this on LinkedIn or do you just stop everything that you're doing in the moment and do it then? How do you I usually post it the next day? That? I just usually okay. post it the next day on, on that other one. But like, I also, in my notes, I'm like, Oh, I'll be talking. Also I'm like, Oh, this is a really great LinkedIn post idea. I'll type up the idea, throw it in my notes. And then tomorrow I'll like figure out how to build that out. Cause every morning I hop on LinkedIn what am I going to post today? Mm, you know, maybe this is a good idea. Write about it, post about it, and get out of there. Because, like, I think sometimes people are like, "Well, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna get you know, ten thousand likes and all this stuff." And every post goal is not really to do that. Like, what I'm trying to do is just stay in front of people so they always see that I'm posting content. They always know, like, everybody knows my job now. Everybody knows who I work with. And I think the one part that people undervalue is that. Part of my content is applying to brand new people, but a lot of my content is applying to people who've been in my life at some point. Like so, like last night, I got a notification. I woke up this morning from like 2 a.m. A girl that I knew from middle school and high school booked a meeting with me. She lives in California. She's like, oh, fine. I love all your content. You finally convinced me I need to meet with you and I need some help. <laughs> and like that is, a re that is a reoccurring thing. And it took yeah. me a while to get there. Like the first... Until all of calendar year last year, I started June through December. I got one inbound lead through content. It takes it takes a lot of time. Everybody said it takes a year and it'll start to work. And so I was just trusting the process, keeping it going. But then like January, I think I had six. February, I had like eight. March, I had like 11. And now I get about six inbound prospects a month that just go to book a meeting with me. I wake up in the morning or I see new prospect booked a meeting. And that's how all of my clients come in. That's awesome. So we got just a couple more minutes. And I want to make sure I hit this one because you said it earlier. I think we weren't on camera when we were talking about it, but um, it, it applies here. So you mentioned that, you know, everyone's or you've had this thought before. Of, or maybe somebody said something to you about 
that's been posted before. Yeah. Like somebody's talked about that already, but you don't, that doesn't, that doesn't intimidate you and that doesn't keep you from approaching a subject because why? Um, well, two things. One is that they probably don't follow those people. I think as like financial advisors, if we create content, we follow all of the advisors that create great content. And so you're like, oh, well, why am I going to go post about, you know, why investing is not gambling if Thomas already did that? It's, and at the end of the day, like your audience is probably not following me. And you also can put a spin on to it of like how that applies to your life and your clients. And so I just, you know, if I see a topic that's already been written about and I'm like, ooh, that's kind of good. I, I could apply that in a different way. Like I, I had a post about like psychology of money and what part of that really hit home yeah. for me and yeah. what's really important about the freedom aspect of that and why that's missing from millennials lives. And then my clients can, you know, hear that and, and, and digest it in a different way. But part of what I do too is my, I use Instagram as a way to post all people's content. So my Instagram stories are TJ Van Gerven had a great tweet or Jess had a great tweet or somebody had a great LinkedIn post. And I just share them over on LinkedIn or share yeah. them over on Instagram as like, follow me here. You're going to have a ton of great content and a ton of things that are going to educate you from not only me, but some of the others that are really great at doing it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love that. Because I think too many All advisors right, well, just share a post. Like they'll say, hey, Thomas, put this blog post out and they just share it on LinkedIn and they don't even say anything about it. And it's like, not that that's bad, but like you're sharing that to your audience, but that they would rather hear why that applies to them from your yeah, perspective. <laughs> oh, that's, I honestly wasn't like saying that because of you, but I just think like Michael Kitts has talked about it all the time too. Like in my newsletter, instead of just posting like, here's five good articles you should read, here's why they matter. Because I know right. most people are probably not even going to open it and read it. Like most people probably just read my post about my blog, but at least they know the topic I'm writing about. So at least give them something to digest that why this matters to them right away. And then maybe they'll read. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, like I said, like I started with, I'm just incredibly inspired by how you've turned your social media game into something that as an advisor, I mean, not even looking from it from a client standpoint, as an advisor, I feel like I learn from you things that I need to know to help my clients with their, you know, with their issues or just content that helps me relate to them in a better way. And, you know, the the idea of this whole podcast is doing the common uncommonly well. And, you know, if a if when a when a gymnast is competing, you know, they're always looking for that you know, perfect 10 score. And the idea out there is that they don't get it by just having an incredible, you know, routine that's full of risk and full of, um, unique movements, but it's when they do the common gymnastic movements so well, so uncommonly well that the judges go, wow, like that, that person is an expert in, you know, in their field. Yeah. I I think advisors miss that a lot. We skip to the, um, complex, you know, to the noise. We skip to the complex. We skip to the latest news and we're trying to show that we're an expert on those things by talking, you know, with this, really this level of language about financial services that, you know, most clients don't understand. And I think what impresses me the most, I think what captures me the most about your language is that it is that simple. And you do come across as a, as an absolute expert in your field. 
by being able to share the common things about finance uncommonly well. So yeah, it's, it's that, you're a perfect example of that. It's that Kobe mentality. Like Kobe always talked about like 80% of everything is the basics. And so the best thing you can do is master those basics because too many people work on the extravagant parts of it. But that is like for my clients, like I do know about crypto. I do know about, you know, some of these other things, but at the end of the day, like the basics of cash flow and automated savings and tax advantaged accounts and maximizing employer benefits. Like that is where most of your true value is going to come from. And so learn the ins and outs of there. And then, you know, I don't spend that much time in the weeds of like individual stocks or things like that. Cause my average client has 50,000 to invest, you know, it's just, that's not as important as, you know, increasing your savings rate or, you know, right. maximizing yeah. your 401k or all these other things. And so I try to focus in on those basics as much as I can. Yeah. Yeah. What's really going to move the needle for them to be able to build wealth and exactly. retire and take care of their family and send their kids to college and this. Kind mm -hmm. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on here. Thank you for giving me your time mm -hmm. today. I can't wait for everyone to hear what we've talked about. I feel like it's just super valuable and um, yeah, I, I just, like I said, I, I really, really respect, respect you, not only in the field, but with your craft on social media. And well, thank you. Tom. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. I'm happy we finally had to do it. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Thank Thanks, you. Thomas. Thomas is a true social media genius. Not only did I learn from him as we discussed his social strategy, but also I found myself encouraged by his simple way of breaking it down to a repeatable, doable process. To connect with Thomas on anything we discussed today, look him up on Twitter at T. Kopelman, on LinkedIn as Thomas Kopelman, and you can also find him on his website at www.allstreetwealth.com. Thanks for listening, friends. Now go lift heavy and be kind.